<laughs> okay, so somebody's going to turn me on, right? I hope you can see this is a very tall pulpit, so I'm going to kind of stand to the side. I want you to move up because I have some pictures to show you tonight, and you won't be able to see them if you're further back. Um, plus, it's just a good a little test of obedience. You know, you want to just do what you want to do, but we're not going to just do what we want to do tonight, right? Um, your preacher's wife is so sweet-sounding, and she just seems like such a sweet lady, and I don't know what you heard about me. I'm, I am, well, I'm not, um, well, maybe I am a little rough around the edges. I don't know. But being a Jersey girl and a Northeast Yankee uh, just kind of goes with who we are, and uh, so, personality-wise, uh, that's just the way we, we're just very blunt, known for being kind of blunt, kind of rude-sounding. I hope I don't come across that way tonight. All right, good to see you all. How many of you here are single ladies? I'm curious. Single. Okay. Great. Not too many. Um, I wonder how many of you are planning, if you're single, uh, planning in your head or in files that you keep a wedding. I'm planning my granddaughter's weddings. I have a file of ideas. Maybe they'll like this. Nobody's asking me my opinion yet, but <laughs> if they do, I'm ready. Dresses, different things I see. I've got a file in, on my computer of things that I think they may really like, if, if I can just get a word in there. Um, <clears throat> And so I, I'm assuming from some hands raised, I'm wondering how many ladies here are widow ladies. You're single. Any, any widows here tonight? Widow ladies? Mrs. Noe, that's right. Okay, Mrs. Noe, I hope you can hear me. Maybe you could whisper in her ear if she doesn't. Um, but God bless you, ladies. How many of you are uh, married ladies? Must be everybody else just about. How many of you are happily married ladies? Keep your hands up, right? All right, good. Well, obviously your uh, pastor believes that every marriage and every home and every family is important. And um, obviously he's having this meeting, some, uh, just a time to kind of focus on home and family. And... Um, I think maybe even especially, at least I feel this way, especially even the homes and families that you young ladies will potentially someday establish yourselves, uh, always looking to the future. Uh, we want to bring along the next generation. And so uh, girls, um, I'm mainly speaking to the married ladies here tonight, but I want you to um, listen up and pay attention, hopefully, that there'll be something here said tonight that uh, is going to help you in your future homes to have a healthy and happy family and a long marriage. And isn't that what we all really want? I think it is. Um, so we want to think tonight about some of the things in just 45 minutes, whatever we have, some of the things that are our part in having a uh, happy family, healthy family, a healthy home, healthy marriage, happy marriage. Uh, I will say this, that step one is marrying the right man. And you know, I didn't know if we would have some widows here or not, or ladies who are single for some other reason. <clears throat> um, and originally I had written down that a key, girls, would be that for you to have a happy home, step one is marrying a godly young man. And then I wrote next to my notes, or an old man, a godly old man or middle-aged man, whatever, if, if the Lord would give you a second husband, that's still a key, that you marry a, the right man, a godly young man. And so uh, one thing to keep in mind is do not give your heart to any man of any age who has not given his heart to the Lord. If you make that a criteria and make that... Uh, set in stone for yourself. You won't take step one off in the wrong direction with a young man or an older man uh, who will not make you happy. So let's pray on that note. Father, we ask you to bless our meeting here tonight and our time together and help it to be uh, 
something that our hearts need, something that will be helpful, something that will uh, maybe change the future of some people here tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. There's a quaint saying that a man's uh, home is his castle. And don't groan at that, ladies. That's telling if you groan. But I remember a wise man. In fact, the man was the dad of the missionary that you just had here, Stephen Trell. He has his family over there in the Middle East. This was Stephen Trell's dad. I, I stood uh, in a receiving line right after the wedding, and he said to the groom, newly married, uh, if you want her to treat you like a king, treat her like a queen. And I thought that was good, a good advice, that was wise advice. <clears throat> and wouldn't it be wonderful if our homes were really like that, where the dads, the husbands were uh, kings, benevolent kings, uh, kind, uh, kings of their castle, so to speak. And if the wives, if the moms were queens of their little kingdom, uh, including having servants, that would be nice. Uh, sons and daughters uh, in our homes that are like a prince or a princess. Now, some of you girls probably do think you're a little princess, but uh, in touch with reality. But I'm talking about those who treat their dad and their mom like they are royalty. Uh, it all sounds great, and it almost sounds like a storybook tale. But tonight we want to look at the book and to look into some things the Bible has to say about having a solid home, a happy marriage. And uh, so let's turn tonight to Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 4. If you would, please. Proverbs 12, verse 4. And when you get there, I'm going to read it together. Okay, let's read out loud together, if you would. A virtuous woman, read with me out loud. Still turning? All right, we there? All right, let's try it. A virtuous woman is a crown to her husband, but she that maketh ashamed is as rottenness in his bones. And so in this scripture, let's read it again. Would you read it again for me, please? Okay, here's a picture. These are old pictures. Maybe some of you Sunday school teachers remember seeing these pictures that were around for a while on the book of Proverbs. And I still have mine. Uh, but this picture in this, in this scripture, we kind of see it pictured here, um, there's a statement being made about two kinds of women. First, we've got one that God says something positive about, and then the other that God says something rather negative about. Uh, now, in the Bible, I'm sure many of you who've studied the Bible realize that God uses metaphors and similes uh, to teach us things. And so what is a metaphor? I should ask a school teacher here. Laurie, Noe, what is a metaphor? Do you remember? Oh, okay. All right, well, a metaphor is uh, words that really um, create a picture or a comparison that teaches a lesson. And a simile would be the same, but you remember simile uses like and as, whereas a metaphor does not. And in this verse, we have both a metaphor and a simile. Um, the, um, we have here in, first God says a virtuous woman, that she is something. She is what? She's a crown. She is a crown to whom? To her husband. So God's saying a woman is a crown. Uh, so let's think about a crown for a minute. Uh, a crown is a symbol of respect and dignity. A crown, uh, typically I think of royalty when I think of a crown, something made out of precious metals, um, very beautiful. It's, it's connected with royalty in my mind. But then you have crowns that have to do with, uh, say, achievement. If you think of a, an Olympic crown, something that has to do with excellence, a reward for excellence. And then there's crowns that are given that are really just a tribute uh, bestowed upon somebody as in, uh, a, let's say, a um, beauty pageant or maybe the homecoming queen. They may wear a rhinestone crown. But when you think of a, a real crown, a genuine crown, typically from expensive materials, gold and silver, not rhinestones, but precious gems, 
diamonds, rubies, uh, pearls perhaps, things like that, sapphires. When we, I think it's been about 15 years or maybe a little bit more than that, we had an opportunity to be in England on a way back um, from our trip to Israel. And we got to see the crown jewels. Uh, you couldn't get too close to them. They were behind glass. There were armed guards. Uh, they were amazingly beautiful. But because of security reasons, you couldn't take pictures. You couldn't get too close to them. But they were certainly very impressive, very valuable, and very beautiful. And think of it, ladies. God says that a woman, a virtuous woman, and that term virtuous woman is only mentioned three times in the Bible. This is one of them. One is pertaining to Ruth, and the other is in Proverbs 31. But God says that a virtuous woman is like that, that she is impressive, that she is valuable, and that she's very beautiful. And I was thinking of the ladies that might be young, teenage girls, whatever. If you notice here, it's speaking about the woman who then becomes a wife. But she's a virtuous woman before she becomes a virtuous wife. And so um, we wanted to keep in mind, girls, that the spirit that you have now, the attitudes that you have now, the character that you have now, is really a, there's a really a very good chance that that is the, those same attributes you're going to have as a wife. You are forming who you, right now who you are going to be as a wife, the type of wife that you're going to be, and um, <clears throat> kind of shaping up into what you will become. And so it's important that you take to heart whatever you see written about a virtuous woman. It isn't like a magic wand is waved and all of a sudden you say, I do, and you become virtuous. Uh, you need to be that at this point in your life. And hopefully this is going to help you to maybe even see your future when you kind of think about certain things about yourself at this point and really improve your future. So we have this woman who is a virtuous woman, and she's a crown to her husband. But then we have the part B, she that maketh ashamed kind of woman. Or let's say she's the she that maketh ashamed kind of daughter um, or teenager or little girl. She that maketh ashamed is what? Is as rottenness in his bones. And so I have another picture here. And this is a bone that um, has a problem. This is actually uh, not osteoporosis, but it's called uh, osteosarcoma. And so, Laurie, what does that mean? <laughs> okay, she knows how. To... It's this cancer, exactly, right. This is a bone cancer. And when I study the Bible, I like to use a dictionary keep a dictionary or a thesaurus handy. It really helps me to flesh out the meaning of things. So I looked up some synonyms, words that mean the same thing, for rotten. And here were some synonyms, disintegrating, putrid, disgusting. Rotting things usually stink, don't they? They usually turn our stomach. They are not something that we want to be around or that we want to look at. Uh, and who or what does God say is like rottenness to his bones, to a bone? Um, she that maketh ashamed. What might that mean? Look up ashamed, mortified, embarrassed, humiliated. She that maketh ashamed. She that maketh who mortifies, who embarrass, embarrasses, who, who humiliates. So what is the truth that God wants us to see from these metaphors and this simile? As a wife, or even really as a daughter, uh, we can either be a big blessing to a husband or a dad, or we can be a gigantic problem in his life. Uh, we can be a tremendous asset or a painful liability. We can either be like an army that circles him for protection, or one that circles for an attack. A, week, a wife can really be her husband's uh, dearest friend, closest advisor. 
I think even daughters can be a big supporter to their dad if you want to apply these principles to the man in your life right now before you get married. The one who puts a smile on his face. That can be us. Or we can be the one who drains the life right out of him. The one who actually weakens him. Just the same as we see rottenness, disease on this bone that potentially will make it weak and sickly and more easily broken. We have that potential in each of us. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 30, verse 21, and I'm going to skip some down to 23. Proverbs 30, we'll start with 21. And for time's sake, I'm going to skip down. For three things, the earth is disquieted. And then it goes on, we, there's some things mentioned, and it goes to an odious woman when she is married. An odious woman when she is married. Sounds ominous. What does odious mean? Well, first, I think, to me, it sounds like that's got to be a smell word, odious. But if you look it up, odious really means hateful, horrible, obnoxious, repulsive. Now, girls and ladies, do you think that she got that way after she got married? Not likely. Uh, there was a good chance she was a mean girl before she got married. You know, we have books out about mean girls. Uh, we see them in the media all the time, like they're so cool. I'm talking about a girl who, before she marries, is mean uh, at home, mean to brothers and sisters, mean to her girlfriends. Uh, so if that's where we are at in a, our pre-marriage stage of life, good chance you're going to take that into marriage, that you'd be an odious woman. Disquieted. Do you know what disquieted means? Sometimes we just read these words and think, I Sort of, I think I sort of know. It doesn't sound positive. It sounds like something negative. If you look up disquieted, it means to make anxious. To make anxious, uneasy, to grieve, disquieted. And the scripture says here that the earth is disquieted. The earth is grieved, anxious, unsettled, made anxious by an odious female. You can imagine what a measly husband what, what is his defense against that? What is the impact that, that we could have on him being an odious woman? My husband talked last night about being real at home. And um, certainly we do want to be real at home. But the truth is we're married to imperfect men. The truth is we're daughters of imperfect dads at times. And I think... Uh, to a point, the Lord trusts us with that, and uh, you know, to have grace, and uh, to see a man at his best, and at his worst sometimes, and with that, in particular, if you ladies have any husbands in ministry at all, um, with that, there's definitely a need for an extra measure of um, discernment and discretion. Uh, so let's look at another picture. Uh, this says, as a jewel of gold in a swine's snout. I don't know if you can see that. Uh, so is a fair woman, or a pretty woman, without discretion. Discretion is such a needy quality for us to have as women. You know, no matter how you dress her up, um, no matter how many earrings you may put on a pig, a pig, a hairy pig at that, uh, stinks, still stinks, no matter how you, you and stink is a smell word. Uh, but discretion, what is that? Knowing how to act, uh, when to speak and when not to speak. Discretion. Uh, sometimes we're challenged that way. Uh, my husband was talking about wanting to be yourself, your best self at church, and how we put on our best face for
for, for church, but the important and the significant thing is being a Christian at home and what people see in you at home. Uh, I know that I have at times felt um, discretionally challenged. Um, I picked up this shirt. In fact, I have two of them, long and short sleeve. I was so impressed. Uh, and here's what it says. Help I'm, ta- help, I'm talking and I can't shut up. Covered up my microphone there. But that's so true, isn't it? Sometimes uh, I'm sure you've said things as I have and think to yourself, why did I just say that? What is wrong with me? And you'd get so frustrated with yourself. Um, <clears throat> but when it comes to your husband or a dad, there's a few things that discretion is definitely not. Uh, one, it's not nagging. Uh, two, it's not correcting his every fault. Uh, it is not, especially in public, fixing his stories. You know, if he's telling a story, and I've seen girls correct their dad, you know, they're just going to fix dad and set him straight. There's a time and a place uh, to give a little correction, if your husband's uh, open for that, and it's definitely not in public. What do they say? Praise in public and correct in private? As pertaining to children, I think it applies to husbands as well. Having a little discretion. Uh, so he doesn't get the facts exactly right in a story. Do you really have to publicly correct him? That's a lack of discretion. Not bristling at his authority and leadership. Uh, in other words, it bothers you to be told what to do. Uh, not lowering the bar of how others esteem him by joking about him. Or the things that you tell that are, that are personal things. Uh, the thing, even especially to get a laugh. Um, it's not publicizing his shortcomings, the dumb things he does, uh, the things that maybe only you know about, but others might find it humorous. So at his expense, you're willing to uh, share that. And you know, ladies, just even be careful about sharing with your sisters in the Lord uh, about personal matters. You know, you need to be able to tell the difference between really needing godly counsel and needing prayer and just talking because you feel better to talk about it. Uh, there is a difference there. It's, you know, it's not about venting. And sometimes we just, we say, uh, we couch, we make it look like it's a prayer request when really we just want to talk and we're just venting and we're lacking discretion, the things that we want, that we're willing to put out there. Um, we may think we have it all together Maybe you have a beautiful home um, for you if you do. Maybe you're a great cook. Uh, maybe you play the piano well. Girls, maybe you're an A student. Uh, maybe you, you're, you have cute clothes or a cute boyfriend or you're cute or whatever. You sing solos, whatever it is. But you know what? I mean, you can dress right. I mean, you can be modest and dress right. But really, if you lack discretion, According to the scripture, this is you. And, uh, you know, we, need, we want to be honest with ourselves. We want to know how does God view uh, our mouths when they run, when they shouldn't be. But uh, back to Proverbs chapter 12. In the privacy of your home, talking about home life and privacy, she that maketh ashamed may be about... Um, what would make a man ashamed regarding his, maybe laziness on a woman's part, a house that he cannot bring people home to? Uh, how about um, withholding affection uh, or your approval? How about being distant and cold, being more attentive to the children than you are to him and justifying being cold to him because you're, it's all about the kids? Uh, how about remembering his faults and mistakes forever? Um, we talked about things that you share. Lacking discretion in talking about your husband, let's say to your mother or your sisters. You know that thing that just bothers you, and really you're going to get over it, but once you've shared it with your mom and your sisters, they will never forget it. They'll, they'll not like your husband forever because of what he did to you. And, and it, it'll go by, and you'll get over it, but they won't. 
And so we need to be careful uh, about that. Now, of course, there is a time to speak. If there's genuine abuse going on, something like that. I'm not trying to paint ladies a fairy tale like I don't know that some men are difficult men to live with. Is, somebody, is that a, something we need to concern ourselves with? Okay, I thought maybe it was a hearing aid. Okay. Um, how about being unfaithful? You know, I wonder sometimes, can, or ask yourself this, can you be trusted on the internet? We, we oftentimes think men, men have such big problems with the internet. How, I bet you know people, I certainly do, women who've left their husbands and their children, uh, left their homes because they've hooked up with somebody on the internet, an old boyfriend or a new boyfriend, and uh, problems with being on the internet or at work. Can you, are you faithful? Um, how about this, letting yourself go? Well, it's just my husband. I'm talking about having little interests, putting little effort into your personal appearance. Um, if you think about this, who do you primp for? Um, if you fix yourself up for, because you're going to see other men, maybe not even one in particular, but other men other than your husband, or even to impress the women, let's say, at church or at work, really, um, you're being unfaithful. If you esteem the attention of other men more than you do the attention of your own husband, really you're being unfaithful. And if you say, well, he doesn't care, I don't think he really minds, he never says anything. You know, if you're real smiley and nice at work and at church, uh, you are not being, and, but at home he gets the cold shoulder, you are not really being true and being faithful to your husband. Uh, really, you're cheating. You're cheating your husband of those niceties that you reserve for people other than him. He doesn't care. He doesn't complain. You know, some men will just go into the passive mode rather than fight with you. Anything to keep the peace. Uh, if, he, if your husband, instead of rejoicing with the wife of his youth, is really just existing with you while you take advantage of his Christianity, um, if he's a committed Christian, yeah, he may stay with you under the same roof in the same house, house but he will leave you. His heart will leave you. And that has to do with, many times, a wife's unfaithfulness in these little ways that we are willing to just do nothing about. As Christian couples, God really gives us to a man to be a help to him. Um, and sometimes, I, I think that we fail to, if we have a godly man, to appreciate what we have because they are few and far between, ladies. And we have probably in our church 10 young women between the ages of 20 and 30 plus who are waiting for the right man. There just aren't a lot of good guys around. And so I think I see that even as we go from church to church. There aren't many out there. So let's be careful to um, cherish the ones that we have and to not take liberties uh, not to take liberties even the way we speak, with our mouths, with our tongue. I have uh, somebody had sent me an email, and this was circulating a while ago. Maybe some of you have seen or heard this. But this is written by a man who um, his goal was to help men to understand women. And so it's called um, Words That Women Use and What They Really Mean. The first one was, is five minutes. And his explanation was, if she is getting dressed, five minutes means half an hour. Um, how long will you be? Five minutes. That means 30 minutes. All right. All right. I'm trying to get the right tone here. When she doesn't really agree, all right, 
can very well mean, have it your way, but you'll be sorry. How about fine? This is the word women use to end an argument when they are right and you need to shut up, he says. Nothing. This is the calm before the storm. <laughs> Nothing means something. And you should be on your toes. Arguments that begin with nothing usually end in fine. <laughs> Go ahead. This is a dare, not permission. Whatever it is, don't do it. A loud sigh. <sighs> Although not actually a word, the loud sigh is often misunderstood by men. A loud sigh means she thinks you are an idiot and wonders why she is wasting her time standing here and arguing with you over nothing. That's okay. This is one of the most dangerous statements that a woman can make to a man. That's okay means that she wants to think long and hard before deciding how and when you will pay for your mistake. Don't worry about it. A dangerous statement, meaning this is something that a woman has told a man to do several times, but she is now doing it herself. This will later result in a man asking, what's wrong? Guess what the response to that will be? Nothing. Great, thanks. This is the least used of all words in the female vocabulary. If a woman is thanking you, do not question it. Just say, you're welcome and back out of the room slowly. <laughs> now that's a little humorous, but isn't it sad if this guy really thinks that the least used word in a woman's vocabulary is thank you? Um, let's look at Proverbs 12, four again, she that maketh, the, let, here's the point, let your husband know you appreciate him. Shouldn't be any that he thinks that the, that's your least used word, thank you. Proverbs 12, four, she that maketh ashamed is as rottenness in his bones. Ladies, bone rot takes a while. It's not instantaneous. It can be slow, but it can be fatal. And I think that if most of you knew that somehow there was something, some disease or something attacking your family that was fatal, you would do something about it. You'd call the doctor, you'd find a way, you'd realize this is an emergency and I'm going to take action. But really, if you're shaming your husband, if you're rotting his bones, slowly killing him, and it is an emergency situation that you're willing to just let coast, you need to do something. You need to take action. And if you just are willing to let it go, then really it's not about um, causing shame. You need to be ashamed to let that, your marriage just go that way. Titus 2.4 talks about um, a whole list of things, but just to get to the point, specifically mentions about older ladies teaching younger women to love their husbands, to be discreet, to love their children, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their husbands. Um, when I think about the Lord saying older women should teach younger women, it's obvious that this is not necessarily something that you're going to come by naturally, if it's something that we need to be taught. It doesn't just come naturally. And we're older women, older, let's say elderly wisdom. I don't think that's about gray hair. I think it's probably uh, more about years of being in the Word of God, years of experience, personal experience. I'm talking about personal heartbreaks, personal mistakes and sins that we make. It's not like you're just this fount of wisdom. We learn from being older. We learn things along the way, the hard way ourselves. And so women are, uh, older women are um, told to be the ones to teach the younger ones these things, to love their husbands. Um, and uh, so if you have somebody in your, in your life, I would, myself growing up, didn't get saved till I was 28. Had, did not have the kind of guidance that some of you young ladies are having in your life. You need to be so appreciative. Uh, there's another verse in the Bible that says, 
as an earring of gold, and uh, as an earring of gold, so is a wise reprover upon an obedient ear. So if you've got older women in your life that love you enough to tell you the truth, who care about you enough to teach you faithfully and to try to steer you right, uh, the Bible says you need to esteem them or, or view them as like a gold earring, something that, that is, is of value and should be a valuable thing to you in your life. But it's only going to be that way to somebody who has an obedient ear, something to keep in, in mind. Um, myself, I'm so glad. Uh, before I got saved, my, I'm the oldest of 12. My parents separated when I was... Um, well, my mother was expecting the 12th child, and so I learned alongside my, well, we worked, I worked side by side with my mom. We tore down buildings, and we hung sheetrock, and, and I learned uh, during those years to be independent and to have a little attitude. I, it wasn't that I disliked men, but I learned that okay, we can get along with you or without you. And I brought that into my marriage. Uh, we were married 10 years before we got saved, and I'm very thankful um, that I didn't do too much damage in those first 10 years. But I had attitude with a capital A. And so there were a lot of things that I needed to be instructed about. And I'm so thankful for how God has worked in both of our hearts and lives over these years that we've been saved. It's just been really amazing. Nothing I would have ever dreamed. You're looking at non-material. I mean, I had catalogs to go into the convent as, as a teenage girl, devout Catholic, but still had an attitude that I don't know how that would have played out long term. But the Lord intervened, we got saved, and I'm thankful that he's still patiently working on me. How about you? I, I think we'd all say the same thing. So this picture again, this virtuous woman who has a lovely crown, what is she like? There's so much that we can know about her. Just briefly, quickly, a woman of virtue, as I said, is mentioned just three times in the Bible. Um, we see from Proverbs 31 and other scriptures, if we put them all together, uh, some qualities that she has. She's a builder. Proverbs 14.1 says a wise woman builds her house but the foolish plucketh it down. We're talking about family here, ladies, and, and our homes. A foolish woman plucketh it down with her own hands. Uh, she's a builder. She's not a wrecking crew. The wise woman, because who tears her house down? The foolish woman. Uh, she's powerful. Well, I watched some of the march today. Did you watch any of that on TV? I could only take just so much of it, and I had to you know, all these women about their power. They, they are, look at, how, look at that march. You talk about powerful women. That was a powerfully organized, and, and they're all about what they're all about. I can only watch just a little bit of it, and that was enough. But we're talking about, I think sometimes we fail to realize in our home lives uh, how much power and influence that we really have. The power and the influence to shape children, to shape lives, you know, that is so huge. That is so powerful. Um, but even to shape our husbands. You know how they say people look like, after a while, they, they resemble their pets? But husbands and wives, really, the older they get, they, they think alike. They, they actually start to look alike. And they become much more alike. And really, a lot of that is the power of influence from a wife. Our opinions are powerful, my personal opinions. I want to be careful. I can just say, uh, just personally, that my opinions can influence my husband. And I, I really, I'm, I'm glad that usually my husband is spiritual enough that if I put anything out there that would be a negative uh, influence on him from me, uh, he respects my opinions, but he's, he can usually resist something that would not be helpful to him. But uh, if I voice an observation about somebody, let's say, at church, if I express an opinion about them, usually he's just, uh-huh, mm-hmm. But if all of a sudden he stops and listens and says, what did you say? And he's really, I've got his ear, 
and I, I think to myself, okay, make sure you have this straight, make sure this is not influenced by what you're saying here, that I'm sure my attitude is right, it is godly and pure, and so forth, because I need to be careful about that I do not influence him in a way that's going to hurt him or his ministry. I have that kind of power um, just in my tongue. Our spirit is powerful. Our spiritual at home, our spirit at home, you know, how they talk about uh, are you a um, thermometer or a thermostat? Uh, Ladies, you are a thermostat at home and at church as well. Uh, I love how women who are bubbly and excited and enthusiastic, and because I'm not like that. Uh, but if that's you, don't let anybody rain on your parade or change you. Just stay just the way you are. It's great to have people like that, women like that in particular, who set the temperature uh, in a gathering, uh, just in, in the nursery, or, or just somebody who's positive. Don't, don't change. Don't apologize for that. Our positions can be powerful. I know in our church, and I'm sure it's true here, if you are wherever you go to church, if you are Mrs. Pastor or Mrs. Uh, Youth Pastor's wife, if you are the Sunday School Director's wife, if you're the Choir Director's wife, maybe the school principal in our, in our situation, the co-pastor and the school principal call me mom. And so how would it go for them if I treat my husbands and my sons like they're incompetent. Others would surely, it would lower the bar of how other people view them and listen to them and follow them. Uh, So little things sometimes are telling. Uh, You know, how you sit up and listen to his sermons or or, um, how you laugh at his jokes, whether he's in ministry or not, or just roll your eyes uh, when he's speaking. Uh, It's obvious to others if if you think your husband is smart, if you think he's godly, if you think he's a good leader, uh, it's obvious to others if you feel blessed to be his wife, just by the looks that you give at times. And so we need to be careful about that, the position that we have and the powerful influence it can have over other people. Virtuous woman is not afraid of being under authority. I saw some signs, a little bit of the parade or march that I watched today. One woman had a sign, I'm afraid. And all these cries for, uh, and statements about authority. And I don't know if it's a new thing. I I heard the word abortion mentioned one time over watching about an hour and a half of that while we had breakfast at at the hotel and then otherwise. Now it's this reproductive rights. It seems like they're not even wanting to use the word abortion as much. It sounds nicer to talk about reproductive rights. It was noticeable to me that I did not hear the and see it a lot on signs either. So uh, I don't know where we're going with that, but, but afraid of authority. Um, have you ever been at a wedding where, um, in our church, the wedding vows uh, that my husband uses still say to love, cherish, and obey, and hear women audibly groan in the audience, say, wedding guests, ugh. Oh, like they can't believe it, or smirk, or just flat out laugh, or even shake their heads no. I've I've watched it from the back of the church uh, during weddings. I remember when Kate uh, Middleton and Prince Charles, their wedding was being planned. It was actually in the news. Was she going to say obey when she took her wedding? I don't know if if she did actually, but there was something they were actually talking about on the news Was she going to say obey because it was the traditional English wedding vow? Um, That submission, that obedience, sometimes my powerful opinions don't always agree with my husband's, um, and I am put to the test. Uh, My submission is is put to the test. Uh, A book that helped me, or a couple books that helped me when I was a young Christian, and they're kind of old, maybe older-fashioned books, but I really found that it helped me at the time, was uh, Rosalind Goforth uh, is a missionary wife. Her husband, her hus- she and her husband were missionaries to China. And um, Colby, do you know who they are? John, and anyway, she, she, her books uh, that are biographical about her husband and their work there in China, really, uh, she was very straightforward, and had, she spoke a lot about issues that she had, 
and challenges that she had with submission and obedience, and that was a help to me, so I'll just mention that to you. Maybe it would be a help of interest to you as well. But really, praise the Lord that we're different. I don't know about you. I don't want to be a man. Uh, too much responsibility, too much pressure. Uh, that's not for me. God made Adam for a purpose and Eve for a purpose. It's a problem when Eve wants to be Adam or vice versa. Uh, so let's, if we keep God's order of things in mind, we'll have a happier family. A virtuous woman is beautiful inside and out. We're so dumb if we think if it's all about the exterior. And I'm sure, being in a church like this, that you're aware that um, the significance of being beautiful on the inside. There used to, I, I want to see if I can find it, there used to be a Metamucil commercial and that talked about beautifying yourself from the inside out. Ooh la la. And I thought, oh, they, they've got it right. From the inside out, not from the outside in. That's not the way it works. Uh, What's in your heart, of course, it's talking about not your intestinal tract, but what's in your heart. Uh, what comes out of your mouth is, and the look on your face and your attitude and your spirit will be lovely if the heart is lovely. I heard it, I've heard it said that by the time we are the age 35 or 40, that we actually really have the face that we deserve to have. You know, you can make it up and pretty it up and, and try to make yourself look healthy, even, even just healthy. There comes a point where that doesn't even work with makeup anymore. I used to be able to get a shower and certain wrinkles would just sort of puff out, you know. That doesn't work anymore. Sooner or later, you get the face, ladies, that you deserve to have. You know, the frowns, the wrinkles, the spirit, the attitude starts to show on your face sooner or later. It is going to come out. It is going to show up. A virtuous woman is confident. Uh, Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me, Philippians 4.13. And notice it's not self-confidence we're talking about here, but it's confidence in the Lord and what he can do in your life. And, you know, not just in your life, but in your husband's life as well. Uh, I have learned that nagging is a complete waste of time. It just makes the wall higher and wider, and so just forget it. Manipulating, mat nagging. Uh, let God be God. God is at work in your life and in your husband's life as well. And so if we could just learn, we're talking about kings and so forth. Proverbs 12, uh, 1 says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And so if, we're, if we want our husbands to be the kings of our home, let God take care of his problems. And ladies, I'm sure there's probably somebody here who, who lives with a difficult man. I, and again, I'm not trying to say that I'm uh, not aware of that. But uh, generally speaking, if you'll do your part of being supportive and loving and obedient and the wife that you should be, let God be God and let him deal with your husband. Virtuous woman uh, believes that taking care of her husband is her first ministry. We need to keep all things in balance. The kind of care that your husband needs over years, over years of time, changes. Um, perhaps you, at one point, are his secretary. I've been my husband's secretary. I still am. Um, or maybe you hold the wrench when he fixes the car. My daughter-in-law's mother is like that. Whatever her husband's doing, she's right there. If he's fixing the car, if he's hanging things, uh, she's just that kind of person. They're, they're, you hardly ever see them that they're not together. Um, hopefully you've been his lover, maybe his travel companion, his co-pilot. My husband doesn't, that doesn't go well for me to be the co-pilot. Someday you may be his nurse, if God gives you years. Uh, right now your husband might be in perfect health. He might be in good health, and tomorrow that might be different. I remember hearing that the story, it was, I, I think the lady, as I recall, I was driving in a van, I remember it so clearly, uh, a woman giving a testimony, and uh, I believe she brought the Lord into it, but she talked about how her, her husband worked at the Pentagon on 9-11, and how she, he left her work that day, they lived around the Washington, D.C. area, and she gave the story about that, and, um, but he was at the Pentagon when the Pentagon was hit that day, and he was badly burned. 
took a while for them to find her, but when they located her and she finally got to the hospital, the, nurse, the nurses there, as she was preparing and helping to prepare her uh, to go in and see her husband, they said to her uh, that the man that you're going to see looks nothing like the man that left home this morning. And, you know, in a day, we, we don't know. It may be that the way God will have for you to be his helpmeet, for you to help take care of him, may be in a nursing capacity. Um, my husband and I, I think we are at the stage of just trying to help each other match our clothes. I can't tell navy blue from black, neither can he. So we're constantly asking ourselves, is this blue? Is this black? I've gone out with two shoes, same kind of shoes, one blue, one black. Uh, he stood in the pulpit with blue pants and a black jacket. And so right now, we're just at that point of trying to help us, each other get dressed correctly. Virtuous women are loyal and trusted to be faithful. Proverbs 31:11. the heart of her husband does safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. I brought a, brought a story I want to read to you, and um, I think it'll sound better in a storyteller's voice instead of my Jersey accent. So, and actually, this is uh, a story based on fact. Um, <clears throat> and this is about uh, a kingdom, actually, in Germany, and it goes like this. One fateful day, many years ago in Germany, the Duke of Welf bowed before King Conrad III. While he bowed, he accidentally brushed the foot of the queen. The king was enraged at this insult and upbraided the duke in front of his men. Offended and insulted, the duke declared that he would never again pay the royal crown a tax or a tribute. And he stormed out of the palace furious. The king, to punish the duke, sent his army to surround the duke's castle. In those days, dukes and other powerful men lived in castles with their whole families and their servants and their followers. King Conrad knew it was only a matter of time before the people trapped inside the castle walls would run out of fresh food and water. Then they would have no choice but to surrender to him. The Duke of Welf was ready for a long siege. He had stored a fortune of silver and gold inside the castle, and they were well supplied with food and other provisions. At night, he planned to send scouts through secret tunnels into the city of Weinsberg to buy whatever they needed. The Duke hoped his friends in Weinsberg would send word of his plight to enemies of the king, and they would come to his aid and rescue them all. After waiting impatiently for several weeks, King Conrad and his troops sent a message to the Duke demanding the immediate surrender of everyone in the castle. All of the Duke's men would have to die by the sword, but the women and children would be free to go. The Duke of Welf flatly refused these terms. Furious again, the king ordered all roads and pathways surrounding the castle to be barricaded. He sent his men to search for tunnel entrances, and when they were discovered, he had them filled in and blocked off. He then stationed soldiers securely by each one. Back inside the castle, food and other provisions were running low. By night, the Duke had sent young spies to buy food and provisions, but they were unable to return through the tunnels now blocked and guarded. From the castle high tower, the Duke could see that enemy soldiers now fortified every pathway. A quick inventory revealed that the once ample supplies were almost depleted. In fact, all that remained were two barrels of beans. The outlook was grim. The people inside the castle knew they faced starvation. 
Enraged that the Duke had not already surrendered, King Conrad sent another message. If everyone in the castle did not surrender that very day by nightfall, he would set on fire the entire city of Weinsberg and would kill by sword all who lived therein. Now the people inside the castle were truly desperate. Not only was their own doom sealed, but, but innocent residents of Weinsberg would share their same horrendous fate. No one knows who said what to whom in the hastily gathered meeting convened inside the castle. But before sundown, a messenger emerged from the castle with a letter addressed to King Conrad III. The letter read, Your Majesty, we, the women of the castle, humbly realize that our fate is in your hands. We ask only that you allow us to leave at sunrise tomorrow with our children and whatever we can carry on our backs. For this we entreat you and submit our lives to your mercy. King Conrad III considered the proposal. After all, he had already said he'd let the women and children leave in peace. If they took a few valuable prized possessions, what was that to him? They could rebuild their lives, and he'd be forever known as a wonderful, merciful king. Besides, the vast fortune of the duke would be abandoned inside the castle, and he would add it to his own royal treasury. Plus, the whole affair would be finally over. He sent back the messenger and granted their request. The next morning, at sunrise, the castle gates creaked open. Out stepped the women with their children behind. But that's not all that emerged from the castle. Carried on the backs of the women were their husbands. Unmarried women carried their own brothers or fathers on their backs. Each woman staggered and struggled under the weight of her burden, but on they walked, steadfast, determined. Astonished at the very sight, King Conrad was both amazed and amused. His soldiers, however, were outraged at the gall of these women and demanded that, they all, that all the traitors be executed at once. But the king refused, declaring he had already given his royal decree, his royal word, that the women could take whatever valuables they could carry on their backs. And he said, a king always keeps his word. Thus, the women of the castle were permitted safe passage and to rescue their beloved menfolk as well. According to the legend, the duke and his men were so grateful, they renewed their loyalty to the king. King Conrad III renamed the castle, the Castle of Faithful Wives. The name by which the castle is still known today, should you ever visit the city of Weinberg in Germany. And I looked it up on the internet before I came over tonight, and indeed, that is a true story and the castle and the ruins of the castle still exist today in Germany. You know, usually men are generally stronger than we are in many ways, and there are times when our men may have to carry us, but there's times when we may have to carry them. And you know, when you're a couple, that's the way it is. Um, our knight in shining armor our king of the castle. You know, the day may come when he falls off his horse, the knight in shining armor. Maybe his horse will even run away. And what will you do? Will you say, uh, well, you never were really very good at riding a horse? Or will you run to him, help him up, dust him off? and walk along beside him. <clears throat> so what will it be for your husband or young girls, your dad, 
the kind of daughter that you are. What's his lot in life? Rottenness to his bones? Or a crown that shows him respect and honor? A wife or a daughter who is grand and beautiful? A crown to grace his head, his good name, his life? Um, you know, it's exciting to look ahead. Uh, time goes by so quickly, and I remember um, I got married at just 18. I wouldn't recommend that for everybody, but it works for us. Some of you are looking ahead to getting married. Some of you are married a short time, and maybe you'll have a long time ahead of you to work on that crown, to make it beautiful in your relationship with your husband. I hope so. Some of us have a shorter time left. Um, if you're looking ahead to being married, girls, let me encourage you to treat your dad like a king. It's good practice. Um, I brought something for us. And Mrs. Brown, and maybe you give me somebody else to pass these out for me. Sherry, right? Yep. Uh, you could maybe take, each of you take one side. And so I'd like for you to, um, I know in your heart, each of you would like to be a crown. Um, nobody wants to be rottenness to anybody's bones. But, so if you just quickly take, take one, and they're all the same. Uh, this is just a little pin. And I'd like you to really take it as sort of a token um, to be a crown to your husband, or even to your dad, if you're a young girl, young woman, teenager, uh, until it's a, your time to maybe marry. Maybe it won't be in God's plan for you to ever marry. And it may be that your father may be the one that uh, you need to honor and be like a crown for. But would you do me a favor, and as you get your pen, just hold it in your hand, and I'd like for you to just think. Take a moment to bow our heads and pray. And tell the Lord if you've got a desire in your heart to make your husband a king, to treat him like a king, to be, and for you to be his crown. Let's just take a minute and pray about that and ask the Lord to help us with it. If there's something that needs to change, maybe in your heart you could commit to taking steps to fix what needs to change, to do something about it. Ask his help with whatever needs to change in you. If your mind drifts to what his problems are, let's just focus on what ours are. And when you're finished praying, you put your pen on if you'd like. And let's remember three important things God is for your marriage. He's for your home, for your family. Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Don't get in the way of what God's doing in your husband's life, 
Just give up manipulating, nagging. Would you like to feel like a queen? Make your husband feel like a king. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the things, the insight that your word gives us into our own hearts, our own lives, and the instruction and the pictures, even in words, that we can glean uh, to help us see ourselves, our thoughts, our attitudes, our actions, and to see a beautiful picture of what a marriage could be, what our home lives can be, Lord. We want them to be beautiful. We want to be a crown to our husbands, surely. And Lord, so we ask you for help with each of our issues, each of our homes, each of our families. Lord, help us to be builders, not home wreckers. Help us to be faithful. Help us to be strong. Help us to be true. Help us to be godly. Help us to walk with you, Lord, closely with you, so we can walk closely with our husbands. We appreciate your word. We appreciate your patience with us, Lord. Bless us and help us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.